Sing the hymns. Sing praise and worship. Sing with a piano. Don't sing with instruments. Baptize people right now. Baptize them later so their families can come. Join the church, or you don't have to join a church. Stay away from sin, or people say sin is only what convicts you. Stand up when you sing. Sit down when you sing. Pray with your eyes closed. Prayer is only when you kneel. We have all kinds of different churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, white churches, black churches, arguments, killings, martyrs, divisions, associations that don't get along, conventions, preachers that preach series, a series of messages, and preachers that preach with notes versus a preacher that preaches without notes. And some of you may think, is that really a divisive thing? It absolutely is. I can remember as a young preacher standing up and having, I had index cards back then and uh, got hammered after the service one day because I wasn't supposed to preach with notes. And I said, that's the only thing that keeps me from chasing a lot of rabbits is to have notes. And um, uh, youth group, calling a youth group versus student ministry, uh, calling somebody a grass cutter versus a lawn maintenance caregiver, Trent specialist versus a man with a shovel digging a ditch. Calling pastors, elders, bishops, deacons, overseers, and all these things are given and needed, but have been empowered by pride and not by the Holy Spirit. Should we turn the lights on or should we leave them all for worship? Do we need TVs in the house of God? Should we wear suits or sweats, ties or t-shirts, polos or bolos, skinny jeans or bell bottoms? I can tell you, I can promise you, you'll never see me with a pair of skinny jeans on. They don't make them in my size. Sometimes all of these things that we're looking at and looking for can just simply be a racket and a distraction. When will believers actually come to the house of God to seek the God over the house of God? You know, the word Bethel means house of God. You know that the word El Bethel in the Old Testament means God of the house of God. And it's, the, and it's even that much harder because there's even some that say that there's no possible way for humanity to seek God and it's all because they twist a scripture out of context that tells us that there is none that seeks me. And what that means is, is while people in Israel and others were in sin, they weren't seeking God. But the Bible does not say that we cannot go and seek after God and find God. That's a twisting of scripture because the Bible actually tells us that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. Listen, we are to gather together in worship together to seek God and that he will be found there. But here's the thing. Where can it be found? We've got a secret. I know this seems crazy, but where can God be found? Or where can we find God? We've got to find him where he is. And I know that seems like, all right, what do you, what do you mean by that? It seems, re- it seems really elementary and real small and simple, but it also, it seems profound. We've got, if we're going to seek God, we've got to find him where he's at. It, we can't look for God in all of these other things that are not godly things, that may be worldly things. We only can find God in the things of God. Amen? The Bible tells us that there are fruits of the Spirit and that there's also fruits of the flesh or sinful flesh. The Bible teaches us that those two things can't go together. The Bible tells us in some scriptures what? It says, can a well bring bitter water and sweet water at the same time? It can't do that. Sure, there are times in our lives where we have some bitterness about us. There's times in our lives where we have some sweetness about us. Hopefully, we have more sweetness coming out of our fountains, amen, than we do bitterness out of our fountains, but there are always times that we have things like this that go on. And so church, my question is this, or my statement to you is this, is that if we're going to find God, we're going to have to find him where he can be found. 
And listen, God is not only just wrapped up in a building. He's not only wrapped up in a church building or things like that. But God is also found in Scripture. He's found in prayer. He's found in holy and righteous and, and peaceful and long-suffering things. And so tonight I want to do that. Look in chapter number 19 of 1 Kings. Let me see if I can get this right, Brother Britt, if it changes on us and stuff, if we're good. Hey, I did. So if you look at verse number 9 is where we're going to begin. The Bible says, And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, for, uh, excuse me, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Amen. I love in the New Testament where it says, and Jesus passes by. When Jesus passes by, a lot of things happen. Amen. A lot of things change. Karen Peck and them used to sing a song that uh, what a difference it makes when Jesus passes by. But the Bible says the Lord passed by Elijah here. And look what it says. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains. And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, that's not a scripture for us to say that God's not in California. Man, he could still be out there too with those people. It says, and after the earthquake, it says a fire came. But the Lord was not in the fire. And look at this. And after the fire, a still small voice. But then look at this scripture. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entering end of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him saying, what dost thou hear, Elijah? What doest thou hear? He said, why are you here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. But look at how God answers now. And the Lord said unto him, go, return unto thy way, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael, not Hazel, to be king over Syria. And Jehu, or Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth, says of, yeah, Abel Maloah. How about that? Abel Maloa. How about, man, that's just, we're going to call him Abe. And uh, shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the, the sword of Ahazel, it says, shall Jehu or Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. He says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and kissed uh, excuse me, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, as Brother Brandon was singing about and leading us in worship tonight. Thank you, God, that we know that you are good. And Lord, even when that word in, in, in our terminology and in our understanding definition today, Lord, doesn't seem sufficient enough. Lord, you're great. Uh, you're magnificent. You are above all. And Lord, we ask you that you please help us tonight. Please speak to us. Uh, Lord, we can't do anything without you, and that includes preaching, that includes testifying, that includes singing, that includes everything. We can't do it without you. And God, we ask you that you just please be with us as we search in these scriptures tonight. Lord, let us see something, not, not Lord, something new that nobody's ever seen before, and all, it'd be all great, but God, let us just see what the Word teaches us. 
Uh, Father, let your Holy Spirit uh, just be free. Lord, have liberty and freedom tonight. And no one would quench and no one would grieve. But God, people would surrender to the Holy Spirit tonight and listen. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the words that Jesus, your son, said, He that hath near, let him hear. And God, we ask you that you just open up our ears. Lord, let it sink all the way down into our hearts tonight. Be with all the ones that can't be here tonight, some that may be sick, some that may be in the hospital, some that are at home tonight that are sick and they can't be here. Lord, we ask you that you touch them. And God, I pray that you'd heal them so that they could come back together for worship. Lord, we give you all praise and glory. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask it together. Amen. Um, when you're looking at the book of, uh, of 1 Kings, um, and you look at the life of Elijah all the way up to this point, Elijah really was a, a man that everything that he did was big, miraculous. He had great things that he did, raising dead, praying over people, doing all these things for uh, the widow woman's barrel and all this stuff. It was always something big. Brother Adam said something to me Sunday, things that we've been talking about and just praying about, but always doing something for the Lord. But Elijah was a guy that did stuff that was always big. He was always doing something that was extraordinary. But in the scripture tonight, you're going to see that it's... Uh, he was looking for that same thing. He was still trying to find that. The Bible says in uh, Elijah, uh, excuse me, First Kings chapter number eighteen. The Bible says that he was able to pray and call down fire. A lot of times Elijah gets credit for this. They always say that he called down fire. It's not really what happened. He prayed, called upon God that sent fire down. Uh, and when you look at that, it wasn't in the power of Elijah, but it was in the power of prayer that Elijah had in God. He, the Bible says, even in the New Testament, what? That Elijah is just like you and I. He's a man of like passions, just like you and I. He understands the highs and he understands the lows. He understands what it is to be on the mountain and Megiddo and call falling down fire on Mount Carmel, all this stuff going on. He understands looking at the Jezreel Valley and there's were the prophets of Baal and they were all trying to call on their God and they got mad and cut themselves when their God didn't answer and Elijah comes up in an almost prideful way and he begins to tell them that maybe your God's on vacation, maybe he's asleep and he needs to be woke up, other things like that. And Elijah did this big thing, but then the Bible says that something happened after this, the Bible says he even prayed that God would send the rain and the rain was going to come because Elijah prayed that what? God would shut the heavens up and for three and a half years it didn't rain. And God told Ahab, he said, it's going to rain. And, and Elijah, you gotta, Elijah told Ahab, you got to think about Elijah and, and who he dealt with in his life. Elijah was the guy that dealt with King Ahab that was really passive and weak and he dealt with his wife Jezebel, which was really aggressive and uh, a liar and uh, brought the children of Israel and all of Israel even into sin and uh, the Bible says that God was going to judge Jezebel and uh, we're going to be talking about Jezebel this coming Sunday at the uh, church of Thyatira it's going to be the same thing talking about the spirit of Jezebel and the understanding of Jezebel and so it's one of those things where I, I read something just today about that you know we call our kids you know Steve and and Bill you know you call your daughters you know Sandy and and Alice and stuff like that and you call your dog Zeus and uh uh, uh, Thor and all these things, and you call your cats Jezebel, and uh, it's uh, one of the things. But the Bible says that Elijah found himself in the wrong place geographically with God. Uh, just three things tonight, I think it's three, but he found himself in the wrong place geographically. You say, what, can, what do you mean, Brother Steve? God's everywhere. God is 
with us wherever we go. Listen, you've you got to understand something. There are times that you leave and you run away from the presence of God. God may want you somewhere, but yet you're running away into another place. There are times that you actually, God says, we're going up on the mountain, and then before long you have walked around to the side of the mountain, and you're wondering where God is. God's on the mountain where he said he was going to walk with you. You're down in the valley because you chose to go your own way. And you've got to be in the right place with God geographically. You've got to be in that right place and position if he's told you to to do something, you need to be able to trust him that you can do that. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter number 19, look at verse number 3. The Bible says, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. The Bible, you've got to think about this, and I don't have a map tonight to show you, but uh, if you were to picture Israel, you would be in the most northern part where Mount Carmel is, or Mount Carmel. You would be at the most northern point. If you know anything about Israel modern today, you would know that Haifa, the area of Haifa, you would know that that's where a lot of the oil drilling and a lot of the oil supplies and reserves and stuff, the, we protect Israel, and that, that'd be in that land. The Bible says that whenever he heard word, uh, that Jezebel, all she did was make a statement about something. She made a statement that after Elijah called fire down and prayed the fire down and it lapped up the sacrifice, lapped up the water, and the Bible says the prophets of Baal were killed that day, the Bible says that she told people that the same thing was going to happen to Elijah, that what he did is going to happen to him, and he, he is going, or excuse me, she is going to come after him and going to kill him, and all of a sudden, Elijah, think about it for a moment, a man of God, a prophet of God, a man who never, ever gave uh, uh, recognition, gave any kind of uh, movement to his own thoughts, but he always consulted God. Elijah always consulted God. He always said, listen, the Lord has told him to build the altar back. The Lord has told him to go get water. And he said, go and fetch water. And they went and got the water. And he said, all right, the Lord has said, go and do it again. And do it again the third time. Elijah consulted God. He was a man of prayer that they even, that's where we get the term today. If you have ever understood uh, an evangelist before, I've been in evangelism like for two and a half years in the first part of my ministry. And some of the places that I stayed, they called them prophet's chambers. And the reason they called him prophet's chambers was because of the man like Elijah that uh, they actually built Elijah a prophet's chamber to where he could rest and seek God and he could pray. And so Elijah was a man of prayer in so much that he was so close to the Lord that he asked God for it not to rain for three and a half years and it didn't rain. But when he heard the word of Jezebel that she was going to kill him and she was going to make what happened to the prophets of Baal happen to him, he did not consult God in any way. But the Bible says in verse 3 of 19, it says, When he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, Beersheba which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. He went and traveled a long way. He went from the northern part of Israel, Brother Reggie, when he heard the word that Jezebel was going to kill him. He did not bow down and say, God, what should I do? Should I stay here? Should I commit to this? Should I do this thing? No, he didn't act in the form of a servant of God at this time. The only thing he thought about was what? His own life. And he began to run away into the, in so much that he came down all the way below what we would call the West Bank now, all the way below Jerusalem and below Bethlehem, all the way to Beersheba. Already he's running away. Listen, this cat must have had some speed about him. This guy must have had some legs on him because he was moving. But the Bible says he found himself there, and as he got to the wilderness area past Beersheba, he began to become weak. 
The Bible says he began to become weak. The Bible says that he fell down, he was asleep. But what happened? The Bible says that God didn't treat him as a runaway, but God treated him as a son and as a servant. The Bible says that Elijah, although he didn't consult God, God was still compassionate and watching over him. See, God was wanting him to move and to do something because God eventually called him back up to where he needed to be. But Elijah was running away, and he was moving away from God geographically, just running away because why? He was running away from Jezebel and running away from death. You know what is really, really sad when you look at this scripture? That Elijah, the prophet of God, who was the servant of God, was not willing to be a martyr for God. It's true. And you need to look at the scriptures and understand that God never told him to go to this place. God never sent him to go down to Beersheba. God never sent him. And you know where he's running to? He's running to Mount Horeb. You know where he's at? He's running to Mount Sinai. He's running to a place that a line was drawn around the base of that mountain and said that anybody that comes across that line will die. Elijah is running with this same mindset, church. The Bible says he was trying to find shade underneath juniper trees, which they actually called broom trees, that were actually just kind of shrubbery that didn't have much shade at all. And Elijah sat there under that juniper tree, under that broom tree, under that little bitty little branch of a tree, and he began to say what? He said, Lord, they're coming after me. And he said, I'm the only one left. And I'm this and that. And he said, it would be better that I would die. And what Elijah thought was is that he would rather die in the hands of God than he would to die in the hands of Jezebel. But in saying that, church, you also got to flip that statement around. Because you got to look at this. There was no prayer thought in this. There was no seeking God about I need to go or God telling him you need to move out. And you say, well, Brother Steve, would God do that? Absolutely God would do that. The Bible says that God told Joseph to take Jesus and get him out of the land. Amen? The Bible teaches us that God will keep us from harm, but we have to seek him. But sometimes we go through trials and through fires in order to do what? In order for the glory of God to be lifted up and high and exalted. Amen? Listen, Elijah was servant enough to call upon God in front of thousands of unbelievers and fire come down and devoured up the sacrifice for the Lord, but he wasn't servant enough to become a martyr for the name of the Lord. And how did God treat him? He treated him like a son, and he did what? He sent food. He sent a cruise of water and a cake. And you think about it for a moment. Do you remember Elijah was the one that told the widow woman, said, if you'll make for me and then make for yourself, that the cruise of oil will not fail and the, the, the barrel of meal will never run dry. You remember? You know what God did? God was reminding Elijah by the hand of an angel what? That, listen, just like I took care of the widow, I'll take care of you. And I'm so thankful that that's grace to me. That's grace. Looking at that scripture, that is God having grace on you even when you're not in the right spot that you need to be. But Elijah wasn't just in the wrong spot geographically, but he was in the wrong spot in his mind logically. He was in the wrong thought process logically in his mind. And you say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thy altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Bible says that he was wrong geographically. You say, how do you know that, Brother Steve? Verse number 9 says what? God told Elijah, what are you doing here? See, it's not just that you look at me and think, well, Brother Steve, I don't know if I agree with that or not. The Bible says in verse number 9, God said, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here in Bathsheba. You're not supposed to be here. You're, why, why are you not... Why are you not back there 
at the base of Mount Carmel. Why are you not back there in the land of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel? Why, what are you doing here? He was at the wrong spot. But also, he was in the wrong mind, mindset. What did he begin to think? Listen, you know what happened to Elijah? He began to speculate. Look at the words that Elijah said. Number one, he said, God, I've been very jealous for the Lord God. You know what that means? It's translated both ways. It's translated as jealous, and it's translated as zealous. You look in your Bible at the Scripture. It's translated in those ways that it means that, Lord, I've been passionate. I have only been seeking after the things of God. He said, I have sought after you, God, and of all the hosts of everything. And what he was doing was, is, is he really, he's really defining his passion for the Lord. And sometimes, you'll know just as well as I do, that when you get in trouble, what happens to you? Sometimes, you begin to talk about the good things that you do, or the good characteristics that you have, before you actually start your confession that you need to do. You know what I mean? I don't know if any of you ever got in trouble as much as I did when I was little. But listen, any time that Dr. Curtis Hart made us write a note home to the parents... I don't know if you ever had to write a note home to your parents telling them. He made us write notes home to our parents to tell them what we did wrong. Mine always started, dear mother, I love you with all of my heart. And you can ask me, I love you with all of my heart. All of it, all the way through. Why? Because I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to get to that bad spot. Elijah begins to tell God, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. Look at the second thing. He said, the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants. He said, Lord, they've thrown down your altars. He said, they've killed the prophets with the sword. And what he was saying in this, he's not really bragging on himself and trying to put them down. He's just trying to remind God of where he is as though God has, you know, not known where Elijah is mentally and what's going on in the pressures of his mind. Elijah's saying, God, I have sought after you. He said, but the children of Israel, they have all forsaken you. He said, not only have they forsaken you, but they've, they've thrown down your altars and they're killing the prophets. And it's almost as you can hear Elijah in this statement to God by saying, God, you know I'm a prophet. You know what I mean? I'm one of those that they're killing. And so that's what I'm doing here because that's what God asked him. What are you doing here, right? So Elijah's doing what? He's explaining to God why he's here. He said, the children of Israel forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed the prophets with the sword. And he says this, and if that isn't enough, I'm the only one that's serving you, Lord. How many times, listen to me, be honest, don't raise your hand and don't, you ain't got to say, oh, me, or anything like that. But how many times have you thought within yourself, in ministry, in Christian walk, that you thought this, it may not have been the right thing, but I'm the only one. Lord, what are these people doing? What are those people doing? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And you're looking at all those things, and you're thinking you're the only one. Let me tell you something. That's speculation. If it isn't enough, he said, I'm the only one that's serving you, Lord. And if I'm the last, then I thought it best to run away and allow you just to take my life instead of them taking my life. You know, Elijah had all the great answers of somebody that was deceived by his own mind and his own speculation. You know, speculation, I think, more than anything, is a tool of Satan. I think Satan causes you to speculate a lot of things. I think you come to church, somebody walks by, maybe they're busy, maybe they've got something on their mind, maybe they have just gotten a bad doctor's report, maybe they have gotten something that their children are hurting or something going on, and they walk by you, and they really don't pay much attention to you. Maybe they didn't, as the, as the kings would say, didn't shake your hand, you know. Maybe they didn't say hey as well as they should have or hugged your neck and stuff, and you go home, and what happens to you? Satan just leans over in your ear. I ain't talking about the good angel and the white bad angel, but I'm talking about just leans over in your ear and what starts happening. Brother Steve's mad at me. You know, what did I, what did I do? 
I got to figure out what I did. And before long, Satan's got you in a place where you're not going to be able to sleep at night because you're all torn up inside and all it is is speculation. You know, I've shared this story many times, but years ago when I first got here, you know, I would look at people and I love people and I'd watch people. I still watch people. And uh, I do, if, if you want to know how I pray for you, I do pray when you're not really singing, you're not involved in worship, I pray, God, you know, let them sing or just give them laryngitis, you know. Uh, Lord, just let, let them get involved in worship. We are to do what? Come together to gather in worship. Amen. And uh, when we did, I, I, there was one person, and I used to stand in the choir, and I would go, I'd look at it, and I'd go, why don't they sing? Somebody leaned over to me and said, I'll tell you after church. So I was like, all right, we're going to get a good answer, you know. And they gave me this story that this person was raised in this such and such such and all this, and they, don't, they used to be this, and they had to go and do this, and they don't sing. And I went, what? I said, in my mind, I said, that's the dumbest thing in the world. You know, I'm compassionate like that. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. And so it just kept eating at me and eating at me and eating at me. And eventually I, I went to the person. I said, I've got to ask you a question. They said, all right, I, f- I figured that's the best way to do things. And y'all probably know me by now. That's what I like to do. I like to just come straight at you with it. And uh, I said, how come you don't sing in church? They looked at me and went, what? I said, how come you don't sing in church? I watch you all the time, and you don't ever move your lips. I mean, you could at least milly vanilli, like just fake it. You know, and there are people, <laughs> there are people that do. And I was like, why, why, don't, why don't you sing? And they looked at me, and I was expecting this big, long answer like I got from somebody in the choir and they said this, I can't. I'm not any good at it. I just can't sing. And I went, what? I said, all of us can sing. He said, you've not heard me sing. And I went, okay. And I walked away. But see, speculation had it tied up in some kind of way off nutcase religious stuff. And I was going, man. And I said, Lord, help me not to ever speculate again. We all are guilty of doing it. But what we need to do is we need to stop it. We need to do in the words of the best theological words you could ever think of is the Barney Fife. We need to nip it in the bud. And we don't need to be speculators. We need to be truthful people. Elijah was in the wrong place logically. Why? Because all he talked about, let's, let's read it one more time. Look at verse number 10. Read it one more time. He says, I have been jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Did you read it? Everything that Elijah said in verse number 10 dealt with what he saw. Everything in verse number 10 dealt with what he was seeing. It didn't deal with what God knew and God's wisdom and God's understanding and God's truth of everyone that had not bowed a knee unto Baal. It only dealt with what Elijah saw. And do you know what? Sometimes we can only believe half of what we see, right? Right? That's what a lot of people say, half of what you see and none of what you hear sometimes. We, th- listen, thanks to the days of Photoshop and all this other stuff, we can get into some big problems with truth. Listen, social media is, is, is so crazy nowadays with people share something and they don't go and take the time to investigate it. And then before long, it's on there and on there. And you're like, look at the website. Before you click share on something, look at the website. And when it's just a bunch of letters, don't share that stuff. When it's, when it's stuff that's just crazy across there, like couldbetruth.com, it probably ain't truth.com. Okay, And so people get all wrapped up because of what they see. And Elijah had all the answers of somebody that was deceived by speculating. Why? Remember, 
Elijah didn't pray about this first. He didn't seek God about it. The third thing is this. Elijah was also in the wrong place visually. He was in the wrong place visually. And I want you to listen to this part. Listen, now God's going to move Elijah in order to move Elijah. He's going to move him. Look at verse number 11. He says, God told Elijah what? He said, go forth. And stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Over and over and over, Elijah, throughout his ministry so far, he has seen miraculous things happen. He has seen fire come down from heaven and lap up a sacrifice. He has seen dead raised to life again. He has seen barrels that have never run dry. He's seen rain that was held off for three and a half years. And then all of a sudden, a little cloud way off in the distance that looked in the form of a man's hand was coming. And he said, go tell Ahab, get up for their sound of abundance of rain. Amen. He saw all these huge things. And so Elijah is used to dealing with God on huge things. What the Bible says, in this scripture that Elijah was wrong visually. Elijah was waiting. God said, Elijah, you need to get up. He said, I want you to go and I want you to position yourself. Maybe at this point he's made it all the way to the mountain of God, Mount Horb, and he's there. And he, he says, I want you to get out of that cave, out of that little bitty cave that you're in. I want you to look and I want you to stand in the entrance and I want you to tell me what you see. The Bible says that the Lord passed by him. And when the Lord passed by, he must have been moving too. Amen? Because when he came by, he moved so much that it says a strong and mighty wind came by. Amen? It says that it was following the presence of God. Look at what it said in verse number 11. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. <clears throat> Listen, as he came by, all of that stuff was happening, and Elijah is seeing it. And I can imagine Elijah, and he's looking, and he's waiting for God. Listen, the strong winds by, the rocks are falling, the mountains mountains are being torn in two. And Elijah's standing there and he's looking and he's waiting for God and he's waiting for God. The Bible says that he didn't see God in any of that because Elijah was wrong visually. It says that after that great mighty wind, it says an earthquake came and the earth began to shake. And Elijah probably thought for sure God's going to be in this, but God wasn't in the earthquake either. And after that, the fire, surely God's going to be in the fire. Why would God be in the fire? Because he was in the fire earlier. I mean, God came down and lapped up the sacrifice and he saw the fire. Surely God's going to be in the fire. And he was wrong visually again. Elijah kept looking for God in all the wrong places. He kept trying to find God in the fire and in the wind and in the earthquake. But every time it says, and God was not in, and God was not in, and God was not in. It says, but after the fire, there came a still small voice. And the Bible says that God was in the still small voice. He said, how do you know that? Look at what Elijah did. The Bible says, and it was so. I love those words when it was so in verse number 13. And it was so. What was so? When Elijah saw, heard, and realized that God was in the still small voice. And it was so when Elijah realized that when he heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. And he went out. And stood at the entering end of the cave. Now before you get to that point, look, he was already at the point where he was looking out, knowing. Not all the way out at the entrance, but he was out looking. And saw all these things outside. The Bible says that when he heard the still small voice of God, that he hid his face in his mantle. 
So what do you mean? He ducked his face down and literally buried it in his mantle. Why would someone do that? Because of conviction and because of shame. Elijah realized that he was looking in the wrong places visually for God. And you know what I think about this? I think about God when he did this. He sent the great wind. He rent the mountains. The rocks broke, but the Lord was not there. 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 And when it says in verse number 13 that Elijah saw it and he wrapped his face in his mouth, do you know what? It was like God was telling Elijah that I can judge and I can handle Jezebel with anything that I choose to. He was saying, in my presence and in my power and in my omnipresence and in my uh, omnipotence, he's saying, I can do whatever I want to. The mountains will crumble at my presence. He said the winds will roar at my presence. And he's saying, and even the ground will shake if I was to come and step upon it. And he was saying, Elijah, all of creation is mine. I created it. And I control all of those things. But I've not chosen to teach Jezebel or the nation of Israel in that manner. I've chosen you as a prophet of God to go and speak the word so that they would repent and be changed. I can do it all, but it's the still small voice. You know, church, if God wanted to right now, and as much as we think that the world is in chaos, evidently God sees something that we don't. Because whenever God wants to end this, he can stop it at any moment. All he has to do is look to his side and say, go and get my children. The church will be out of here. Man, tribulation will happen on the earth such as never was before. And all of that would be ended. Everything would be done. We would come back from the marriage supper of the Lamb and enter into a thousand years of peace on earth. A wonderful millennial reign and praising God, ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, amen, as co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Isn't it amazing that God created all the earth and he turned to Adam and he said, I'm going to let you have dominion over it. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, the Son of God, who holds the same characteristics of God his Father, came and died on the cross for our sins and then goes to heaven and seated at the right hand of God Almighty in a throne that's only his, but then he turns and looks to you in salvation and says, if you trust me and you believe in me, you will be joined there. You will also sit with me. That listen, there's enough room that you can. It's almost it's the same characteristic of the Father, isn't it? That He says, "I love you so much that I'm willing to create this, give it to you, but I'm also re- willing to redeem this and give it to you." Amen. Elijah realized just how small he was compared to God. He realized that God could do all of these things, but what's one thing, listen church, what's one thing? God can control the wind, God can cause the earthquake, God can do all of these things. He has the power to do all that, but yet we won't let him control us. And that's what God was telling. That's why I believe Elijah hid his face in the mantle because God's saying, I've got power over all of these, but yet you didn't even, you didn't even pray, you didn't even seek me, and you ran away. And what are you doing here? Now I want you to see there's this next thing that happens. It's called deja vu, I think it is. But it's a, actually a second chance. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the scriptures before, but I noticed it this Monday, and man, it just really hit me. God calls Elijah back to the right place. God gives him a chance to come and to repent and to come back to the right place. Look at verse number 13. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, 13 through 18 right there. It says, and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. It says, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, Elijah, or said unto him, what doest thou hear, Elijah? Now, wait a minute. We've already heard that in verse number 9. Verse number 9, God says, what doest thou hear, Elijah? But then all this stuff happened. All this stuff happened in between that time that Elijah did what? That I believe that he was in remorse and conviction for what was going on in front of him and what he was looking for and how he was trying to find God and all these other things and he didn't find God in those things and now he found God in the still small voice and now it's like God is restarting the conversation. I mean, it's really like God is rebooting and restarting the conversation because what does he do? He says, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? But look, Elijah answered in the same exact way in verse 10. Verse 10 is exactly identical to verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. But now look at these words. Verse 15, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. He says, And Elisha, the son of Shapheth of Abelmeloah, says, Thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And this is what he says in verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. See, Elijah was in speculation in the first conversation. But now when Elijah answers God in the same way, God does what... He answers him back with truth. And he begins to tell him, Elijah, he said, you're looking at things only with your eyes and only with your ears. You're hearing about prophets being slain. You're seeing prophets being slain. You're hearing about the altars being torn down and you're watching them tear them down. You're letting all those things come into the eye gates and into the ear gates and you're allowing them to control you and you're not consulting me, the great counselor of all, and asking me about it all. He said, Elijah, let me comfort you by telling you if you would have sought me in prayer, you would have understood this in the first place and you would have not ran all the way down to Beersheba and all the way down to Mount Horeb. And I'm going to tell you something, get you a map and look it up, it's far. And he, he was saying, if you would have consulted me, you'd understand that I have 7,000 in reserve that have not bowed a knee to bell. He said, if you'd consult me about it, you would understand that I have chosen you to preach the word, to preach and share the word of God. Listen, God calls Elijah back to the right place geographically. What did he do? He put him back into the work of God's kingdom. How can you work for God if you are not where he tells you to be? How can you be effective for the Lord and for the kingdom and for the faith of Jesus Christ if you're not where God has got you? And I'm not talking about just in the sense, listen, Brother Danny preached this past Sunday about, um, you know, he didn't want to go to Africa and stuff. And then he finally said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. He just needed to know that he was willing to go somewhere. And then years and years down the road, God put him in India. Listen, I'm not talking about just simply that, but how can God use you if you're not in the right place? How can God use you? How could God use you? Imagine Jesus standing there one day as he was needing that, that colt of a donkey and he's going to you know, send some people to go and get it. And what if he turned around and said, Peter! Peter! 
No. They were there. They were there to work. They were there to labor. You'll miss out on some of the greatest blessings you'll ever, ever encounter by not being in the place where God wants you to be. Amen? Number two, God restored him back or called him back, not only geographically, but he also called him back and restored him back logically. He gave him the peace in mind to know what? Elijah's thought process when he ran away from God and ran away from death and ran away from Jezebel, his thought process was what? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Now, Brother Jack, that's not true. Now, Elijah's saying there's 7,000 more. There's 7,000 others. There's 7,000 others. Amen? Imagine the joy that came up in Elijah when he realized that he's not the only one anymore. And all of a sudden he went, I'm not the only one. And not only am I not the only one, there's 7,000 more. Man, there's a lot more. And listen, if we would understand, we're not the only church. Listen, do you know how much closer we would be to the rapture of the church coming if we think that we're the only ones that are around? No, there are other churches that are preaching the gospel. There's other churches that's doing right, and we need to just stay focused on what we need to do and consult God. Listen, he had to get him to return back logically and to get his mind right. Listen, if there's something that church Christians, church people, followers and believers of Jesus Christ need to do, we need to get our minds right. We need to get our minds right. And we say, what do you mean? We need to get our hearts in tune with our mind and our mind in tune with our hearts. We need to understand, yes, the Bible does teach us in the Old Testament that the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can understand it? Yes, we understand that, but the Bible says Jesus Christ saved you. The Bible says that we must believe in our minds and in our hearts that God has brought him from the dead, and we shall be saved from that. And so what we're moving from the Old Testament telling us our heart is deceitfully wicked, we're moving into the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us now. And so if there is a Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us now and controls us and directs us... is teaching us and is helping us and what we would say in the country prodding us to do the right thing then listen we should be able to go by our heart because it should be led by Jesus but our hearts have got to get in touch with our minds and our minds have got to get in touch with our hearts in order to do what to help us have sanity to understand we may be looking at the wrong thing sometimes listen logically he brought him back and then last one he brought him back visually I want you to think about we're going to close I want you to think about being brought back into that mindset, being brought back to the place where God told him to go. He said, get out of Mount Horeb, get away from Mount Sinai, get away from Beersheba, and get, get, get on the trip. Go back to Damascus. Go up, go out, and go back to where I need you. And then he told him to get your mind right. There's others that have not bowed. You're not the only one, buddy. Keep going. But then the last thing, you had to get him back in the right place visually. And all I keep thinking about, and I've, I've thought about it for Six months now, and this past Sunday night, if you weren't here, you would, you would understand that a brother, uh, Danny, preached on a lot, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And, 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 you know, as a preacher, you know, I preached on it twice in the last six months about true worship. And as a preacher, not pridefully, but as a preacher, you sit there and go, all right, Lord, where are you going? I know you're going you're to be teaching something tonight because I've already preached on this, so what are you going to show me, you know, because... Another preacher is going to be able to bring something else out. And it, and it stopped right at the beginning. I mean, right at the beginning of the scriptures being read. And the Bible says in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And immediately it was like the Holy Spirit of God took his dagger, his K-bar, and just stuck it in my heart and twisted it. It was to the point where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. If you take the time to go back and understand, for 52 years, King Uzziah reigned over Israel. 
The Bible says that he did things that were right in the sight of God until the end of his life when he did wrong. But secretly, there was things going on where he was bringing the children of Israel. He was allowing them to go into pagan idol worship. And what happened in the days of Uzziah when he died as a leper at the end of his life, Brother Ricky, is that the children of Israel, when it was allowed by a king partially, when he died, then it was like they threw gas on it, and it just began to flourish even more. As, and, and Isaiah, looking around at all of these things that were going on in Israel, how they had a king that did right, but then he failed at the end of his life, and people began to go into sin. Elijah began to talk about it all. He began to talk about how the women dressed. Go and read it in Isaiah chapter number 1 and chapter number 5. He talked about how that they adorned themselves with all this stuff, and it's nowhere near in comparison to what First Peter says that the adornment of a woman is. But they were actually adorning themselves to where it brought attention to them. And he talked about the prophets. He talked about the pastors. He talked about the preachers. He talked about how the, the shepherds were leading the sheep out. Isaiah is just black. He's just looking at all, and he's going. Listen, in a sense, he's saying, whoa, that means, you know, danger to you caution to you. Woe is you that there's going to be a burdensome trouble if you don't stop. Woe is you. But in another sense, he's saying woe like woe on the horse. He's looking at all this stuff after 52 years and then all of a sudden church it just hit me. It says he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the glory of his train filled the temple. It says there were seraphims. They were saying holy, holy, holy. You go to the New Testament in the book of John, I think it's chapter 12. The Bible says that Jesus pronounced that when he was talking about Isaiah, saw him in the temple lifted up. He saw Father. He saw, I believe he saw the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe that there's a chorus ringing out, holy, 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 because all three of them are holy, holy, holy. Listen, the Bible declares that Jesus said that he was part of that, and that's when Isaiah looked up and he saw him. Church, all I can think about is when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, Sister Gail, he didn't mention anything at all about chaos. When he saw the Lord in his temple, high and lifted up, he didn't see the Lord running around in chaos. He didn't see all of that stuff. He didn't see the Lord going, woe is you, and woe is you, and woe is you, and woe is you, and doing all that stuff. But when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he saw perfect peace. He saw a constant in the Lord, and it helped Isaiah for the rest of his life. You know why? Because Isaiah got his right eyes. He got his visual part back, and I believe Elijah did too, and I believe that we need to do that same thing. If we're going to find God, then we've got to look to where he is. We can't look at the chaos. We've got to look to where he is. Listen to these last scriptures, and we'll close. The Bible says in Psalms 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. You got troubles? Lift your head up. You got problems, you lift your head up. The Bible says in the perilous times of the end, it says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. In Luke chapter 21. The Bible says in Isaiah, to whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One. But, uh, excuse, oh, I've got to go back. <laughs> uh, we did, didn't put that other one in there. I'll read it to you. To whom then will you liken or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power, 
not one faileth. And then last of all, he says in Hebrews chapter 11, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, I had opportunity to preach this past Monday at our association meeting. And when I preached at the association meeting, I shared some of Isaiah. I didn't share Elijah. I was still studying it all, and uh, they only give you five minutes. And so I, I could only really take ten. And, uh, I mean, they know better than to ask me that. And uh, so all I could think about since Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, is when I would get hurt as a kid. Now, my dad loves me in different ways, but when I got hurt, there was not much compassion. You know, you get hurt as a kid, dad look at you and go, suck it up, Nancy. You know, rub some dirt on it. You know, anybody have, you know what I'm talking about? You know, ah, you all right? You know, <laughs> your back's broke, but you're okay. And, uh, but moms, man, moms would, they would help you. You know, most moms, they would help you. My mom did. I remember methylate, mercuricone. You remember that stuff? We, we called it monkey blood. It, my mom called it monkey blood in order for her to put it on me. It was like, well, no, I don't put that. She's like, it's monkey blood. I said, oh, okay, go ahead. You know, kids are crazy. I got bit by a dog one time. Dog jumped on me, a German shepherd, and bit me on my chest. Man, I come running home. I ran, or I ran to my grandmother's house. When I ran over there, it seemed like all my stuff happened when I was away from home. Uh, and, and I got bit by a water moccasin at my grandmother's house. I got bit by a dog when I was at my grandmother's house. I broke my arm when I was at my aunt's house. I just should have just stayed home as a kid. But then I run, run home. I get over there. My shirt's bloody and all that. My mom can't stand blood at all. And, you know, and so we go in there, and she's trying to help me. And you ever remember when you were hurting so bad, and, man, you just look at it, and you were just like, oh. You know, oh, no, you're looking at your wrist, it's broken. And, and your mom, she'd take you by your chubby cheeks if you had them, and she would go, look at me. Look at me. You ever remember that? Did that ever happen to you before? They would go, uh-uh, don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. Look at me. You know, there's sometimes in our walk, in our Christian walk, that we get, we get in the wrong place geographically and we get in the wrong place logically in our minds. We've got to have the Lord. But sometimes even visually we get messed up. And the Lord's trying to tell you, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Look, look up unto the hills whence comes your help. Look unto the Lord, up, looking unto Jesus. Scripture after Scripture, look, 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 up. And it's like the Lord's trying to tell us, don't look at the pain, don't look at the hurting, don't look at all the confusion that's down here. Look up, look to me, man. Maybe you need that tonight. Maybe you need to just say, Lord, I'm trying my best to find you trying my best to see you. And God's told you tonight, you won't see me in that because I'm not in that. You need to look up higher above that. Let me pray for you, Father.